0: Welcome back to Divorced and Done, and this is the episode to ensure that neither Staples, LawDepot.ca, or any other online self-drafting contract organization will never sponsor this podcast. I'm Rob Wood. We're joined by Darren Schmidt. We're family lawyers helping you through your divorce. Everything we talk about, of course, is not legal advice, but just merely for your information. Darren Schmidt, how are you doing today?
1: You're uh, you're sitting on the beach, you're listening to Dick Dale play Miserloo, which featured prominently in the film Pulp Fiction. You would know it. It's like a surf rock cult classic. Uh, it, it plays at the credits at the outset of Pulp Fiction. Very popular surf rock song. I say that because you are nestled in a beach chair looking at the Pacific Ocean right now as we speak.
0: I'm just grimacing at the ocean. Yes, grimacing at the ocean, being upset on my vacation. No, you're not. Uh, I don't know. I I hope I'm not. I I don't think I would be. I I hope I'm not into the stress spirals yet. Uh, But, you know, I I look forward to being away because future me... Is having a good time. You know, you and I prognosticated earlier this month when I came to visit you for Thanksgiving that we were gonna have a good time for Thanksgiving. We had a great time for Thanksgiving. We had two Thanksgivings.
1: We did. If um no no one knew this, probably, but yeah, you, you came out to BC to visit. I think we yeah. mentioned that previously on the podcast. We did. Excuse yep. me. We had pot roast, we had a chicken, we had golf, we had Oh, we had dinner outside one night because it was like 30 degrees out on the lake. Um, We had many things. We had friendship.
0: What more could he ask for? We still do have friendship. And today, as I said at the outset, we're going to talk about the thing you don't want to have, which is a poorly drafted or not drafted at all, really, separation agreement. And thinking holistically about what you don't want to do with a view to what you should do to make sure that the emotional tumult financial spend and everything you've gone to in probably the one to two year process of getting divorced is not for naught and that you can rest easy that you didn't do it the wrong way the first time so that you have to change it or fight it in the future by making sure your future as a divorced person is secure by having a complete agreement.
1: And in order to do that, what you do is contrary to what you said at the outset, Staples will sponsor this podcast. I don't care what you say. <laughs> we, You go to Staples and you spend $39.95 on the self-draft divorce kit. Okay. And you're going to take that baby home and you are going to fill in the blanks in writing one copy before you even present it to your ex. So you're going to in the blanks Maybe you'll write your names accurately. Maybe you won't. You never know. Maybe you want to put your moniker so that you know it's sort of cool, like the Iceman. I don't know. Maybe that's what you go by. Or you also write and or you also write the other details that might go in the agreement in a vague way, like under the property portion, like where you're supposed to identify all the property. You just put stuff. Just write stuff there. And then for your ex, you know, you want to write just stuff for them. You agree to keep all your stuff. And then he or she agrees to keep all of their stuff. But there's no definition of what the stuff is. So someone reading it would have no idea what either of you actually own. And then once you've sort of adequately written everything in, hopefully in like an HB pencil, and you have the monikers, you have the stuff written in there, you go over to your ex's house, probably unannounced. And y- y- maybe you've had a few cocktails. You go over and you just sort of say, you know, it's a good idea if we sign this. And you don't leave the premises until it's signed. And you just tell them, I'm not leaving till it's signed. And then you finally get them to sign it just so that you can get off the premises. And then that's how you have a, a final and binding
0: separation agreement, I think. That's kind of how we do it, eh, Rob? Uh, that's an approach. <laughs> I think you and I several times have... Unfortunately, seeing things similar to that and like that, it's not that exact set of facts. Unfortunately, I think people with the best of intentions do self draft, self draft, and half draft both separation agreements and even worse, cohabitation or prenuptial agreements that people sign in a rush to get married either with or without lawyers, and especially in the prenuptial situation, it's all fine and well because you signed something and who really cares because you're getting married and you're hopeful that your life will be all sunshine and rainbows, and then it doesn't turn out that way. And you move to separate and someone may go, oh yeah, remember that document we signed 20 years ago? Because prenups, much like separation agreements, all they are is saying how we're going to split stuff up in the future if this doesn't work out. It's just really pre-gaming that divorce. And then you're looking at at that agreement and going, holy smokes, uh, I don't really remember talking about this. These terms are exceptionally vague. It says exactly what you've just enunciated, Darren, uh, we're we're gonna. I am going to keep my stuff. You are going to keep your stuff, and uh, yeah, there is going to be no spousal support. Um, I re- extra want to keep my stuff, and not to jump off and talk about cohabitation agreements or prenups when we're talking about separation agreements. But your world changes, and similarly, when you are seeking to separate later on. You do that fast separation agreement, and you're also excited and go, Yeah, sort of, this agreement kind of makes sense. Let's sign it and be done. And then maybe someone wakes up two, three months down the road and goes, That agreement isn't complete. We didn't deal with the really important art, antiques, or joint credit card debt more likely or oh shoot I co-signed for the loans for his business totally forgot about those since we signed the separation agreement that said he takes the business it's now gone upside down and creditors are phoning me to contribute to or pay for those joint loans that I totally forgot that I co-signed for what do you do yeah,
1: I mean, so obviously, what I described previously was was satire. So that the, I, I don't sincerely advise anyone do that. That was obviously a joke. And what we're doing today is we're, I guess, talking about maybe the, um, maybe the three types of agreements that are in our orbit: the prenup, the marriage agreement that you could make while married or in a um, in a common law relationship you haven't separated, so you you wish to define the outcomes of what would happen if you were to separate, albeit that you're happily married at that moment, or the separation agreement. All three of those types of agreements are in our orbit. And just at the top, we've done episodes previously talking about this, maybe directly, maybe indirectly on point, but the one thing we should make clear at the outset. You, if you're listening to this, probably are not someone that drafts contracts regularly as part of your job. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a plumber. Maybe uh, you're a retail cashier. Maybe you're a golf professional. Who knows? You're probably someone that doesn't regularly draft contracts. And you're coming at this from the notion of well, I want this contract, it's really important to me, and you have some understanding about why it would be important, maybe not a complete understanding, maybe someone in your life has said, we should do this, maybe that's your your spouse in that instance, or someone in your family or your friends have said, it's really important for you to get this agreement completed, be it a prenup, marriage agreement, or separation agreement. But you have no experience drafting contracts. And you're also thinking to yourself, I don't want to spend a lot of money on this because who wants to spend a lot of money on a contract? And Rob and I both totally sympathize to that end. No one wants to spend money on these sort of things. So you're coming at this from a perspective, an honest perspective, if you're actually thinking about going to Staples to buy the agreement or going to lawdepot.ca to buy the agreement. We don't fault you for thinking that that might be a viable option because it's a natural reaction in 2022 or the 21st century generally, that there is information available to us online. The the age of people hoarding information in books or having information stored in their brains is long over. We have a flood of information available to all of us about anything, but just because you have information doesn't mean you're going to put it down or complete the task based on that information in a really good way. So coming back to contracts, coming back to it from an honest perspective, I think one of the first things we would say is you should really contemplate and probably do get independent legal advice before you do anything. Just the notion of talking about an agreement, why it would be appropriate in your circumstances, why it may not. And sometimes it's not. I've had phone calls from people that say, I need a prenuptial agreement. And then I talk to them and I'm in BC, for instance, and they say, well, we've been together for 10 years and we're going to get married in a month. Well, tell me about how you've been together for 10 years. We share a bank account. We share everything. We've lived together. uh, We have kids together and we're finally just doing the marriage. Well, you're already a spouse under our family law act. You're not doing a prenuptial agreement at this point. You're doing a marriage agreement. There's no need for you in this specific circumstance to do any agreement before you get married. You can do your agreement after you get married. The the marriage itself is merely symbolic, and it doesn't really impact anything in the immediate. So in that instance, spending 10 minutes with me may alleviate your stress that you might be feeling about trying to get that agreement done before you get married, for instance. Um, In some instances, there's very little assets and it might make more sense just to do a consent order on a separation than it would to do a separation agreement more broadly. That would be probably pretty rare, but just getting some advice on whether I should do an agreement or not based on my specific circumstances, probably worth the whatever consult fee or time it would take, even if
0: it's a free call to someone, just to reach out and talk about it. Well, that's exactly right. And the best thing for someone, if they, if you think you're in the position where you go, I, I sort of know how we would do this and how I'd want to split things up or in the event of a separation or if you are separating, if it is that easy and you already sort of know what you want to do in your mind and you think your ex or potentially future spouse, if it's a prenup, would want to do, then you are that much closer to an agreement. So Do exactly as Darren suggested. Have that conversation with a lawyer. And if you have the contours of an agreement, even if it's not complete, you are probably that much closer to getting to final agreement with your ex. And by engaging with a lawyer, we can bring you things you probably haven't thought of in terms of pieces that need to be there that aren't in your framework, but would enhance what you're trying to do and make it more all-encompassing so that things aren't missed. And even if you are the most capable and you have drafted everything nearly perfectly, there is always benefit in having someone that does exactly what we do every day, giving that agreement a once-over and to hear our advice on how you may make it better, or not, and navigating those potentially difficult issues, because invariably, no matter how perfect someone's agreement is, once you include another chef in the kitchen, which in this instance, specifically a family lawyer, someone is going to have something to say about something. Because Darren and I can't count the number of times we have one person come to us saying, yep, I've either drafted this or agreed with this with my ex. We get on the file. We go, maybe you want to change this. Maybe you want to change that. Send another letter to the other person who by now also has a lawyer. And that other lawyer comes back and goes, well, what about this issue? And it's an issue that we haven't thought about or the other person hasn't thought about. And by that point in time, all four of us are probably talking about different issues that just the two of you or you alone would have not covered in that initial draft of the agreement that you either filled out by hand or filled out with very limited information with the staples or lawdepot.ca agreement. And this way, you're getting a more complete agreement and hopefully something more binding so that in that situation, two, three years down the road, you're not asking, how do we open this up again? Or how do I change this to better meet my current circumstances or something that I didn't foresee at the beginning?
1: Or what does this mean? Absolutely. You don't know want to be asking that in a few years down the road. So when we start, Rob, when we're working with someone on any agreement, the goal is, we want it to be a final agreement. We want it to be the last thing intensively, legally, you would hopefully have to do in terms of either wrapping up your separation, or if you're doing a prenup, that it would clearly govern how the legal issues pertaining to the separation would be dealt with at the time of the separation of the couple. So in order to do that, a couple things we need from you for doing it as your lawyer. And this is where we get some uh, some feedback from people, perhaps negative feedback. Why pushback? Do you need yeah. Pushback. Pushback. Uh, things like financial disclosure, and that can vary. There's different lawyers with different perspectives on how intensive that can be. But just so everyone's aware, why we ask for financial disclosure from both parties, well, at least from you as our client, and have some understanding of the other party's financial position is because you can't make an agreement about the disposition of your financial assets or your debts or your real property or your pensions or all those sort of things unless you know what exists, unless the other side knows what exists. Everyone has to know what there is on the table. And that principle stems from a Supreme Court case called Miglin and Miglin, M-I-G-L-I-N versus M-I-G-L-I-N. I I don't know the year of that decision, but the gist of the case from the Supreme Court is courts can set those agreements aside where the parties haven't provided and exchanged financial disclosure because the parties don't know what there actually is on the table in terms of agreeing to. So, uh, Rob, I think you're Typing. You may know the 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 year of that case or not, but two thousand three. There 2003.
0: we go. Two thousand three was Magdalene.
1: Two thousand and three. So we're coming up on nineteen years of that decision being in place, and and that decision has not been set aside, varied, or disposed of any other way in our country. So we've been following that decision for now nineteen years. I doubt it will be varied at any future date substantively in any way. The principle being, look, if you're going to make an agreement about how to divide your stuff, you have to know what stuff there is, so we have to disclose it. Rob, various ways people can disclose things. They can either just sort of at its most basic, set it out in the agreement without actually exchanging sworn statements, or we can go as intensive as exchanging sworn statements and all those sort of things. So what's your views on how intensive or not we do financial disclosure?
0: I hate to say it depends but I think the answer is it depends for those sorts of marriages that are longer uh, probably longer than 10 years where there's children where perhaps someone stayed at home someone else worked and everything is held in joint names and joint accounts we're probably going to want a lot of disclosure because untangling lots of pieces where you've very much been together not merely as a joint venture but one venture together with your spouse There's a lot of pieces there to untangle and figuring out what's fair to everyone will necessarily require more financial information, probably over a longer period of time. The other sort of divorce that you and I see, and I hate to use this term, but first divorces where people maybe it's been a first marriage, you're only married for a year or two, you don't have any children, you probably don't own significant assets, maybe you're just renting uh, and it's a situation... Again, not to disparage that sort of situation, but you, you haven't built anything with the other person. And it's like you're breaking up after an extended relationship. Maybe you're in your late 20s, early 30s, or somewhere in your 20s, and you each have your own bank accounts. There's not a lot of money in them. You're renting. Someone else has moved out. Maybe you had a couch. You figured out who's taking the couch, who's taking the TV, as is covered in our, in our theme music there, $20 <laughs> divorce. Well, we figured that out. Thank the Lord we didn't finance that couch, so no one's getting yeah. <laughs> a debt tag on the couch then are you and I going to be adamant about disclosure uh, in that sort of situation? Probably less so. As a form of practice for most lawyers, we will likely ask, as you say, Darren, sworn statements. In Alberta, it could be as thin as one sworn statement that is just an aff- basically an affidavit, and it's a chart A lot of people fill them out by hand. This is all the stuff I own. These are all the debts I have. This is sort of the money I get month to month. And you swear like you're sitting in the box in court before the judge holding up your hand saying, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This is all that I have. This is all that I owe. And you swear that document, it's a snapshot of your net worth at a period in time. If that's a really limited net worth statement, meaning you don't have a lot of savings, whatever, no children, not a lot of assets, we're likely to say, yeah, this is probably enough disclosure. But even in those cases where there's more or there's less assets, the way I always determine whether we have enough disclosure is I ask my client, Is there anything else here that you think is hiding or missing? Do you want any more information? Because the way I like to put it when we're signing these agreements, we have terms in all of our agreements, no matter how simple or how complex, that say something to the effect of, parties are satisfied with the disclosure they've received, they've been told by their lawyers they're entitled to more, this is it, because they're releasing all claims property claims, support claims, really any other claims that they could have against their former romantic partner in a family law realm or potentially even broader if it's a broader agreement. So I like to say to everybody, if your ex has won the lottery and we don't know about it and he or she is sitting on that lotto ticket or they're hiding the winnings You sign this agreement, the moment after you sign this agreement, you have no right to claim any of those lottery winnings because we didn't discover it, we didn't ask for it, you weren't curious about it. Is there any concern in your mind that there's lottery winnings, a major windfall, anything else, or are you happy with this deal and ready to be done? And every time, as silly as it sounds, that little hypothetical, I squarely have put it towards someone. After however long they've been separated, however long they've been working with me on their divorce, the response is always, A good for him, good for her if they won the lottery. I don't think they did, but I'm ready to be done here. Let's sign the agreement. And that's the metric, I think, of where you know when you've been done, you know when your matter is done, because hopefully... You've talked with us as your lawyers for long enough. You know what we're about and what we're seeking to do in getting you finality. We've gone through the process of seeking more information about your relationship, your financial status, and all those pieces. So when it is finally time to, quote unquote, just sign the papers, you've been through the process enough that you can say, yes, I am satisfied with this deal. I'm at peace with this deal. I've thought about what the future can look like. And it isn't just, as you said at the beginning of this episode, Darren, someone standing on someone else's porch after they've had a few cocktails going, sign this thing I just made up at Staples and we'll be done here. Because that's not the way to work, and it's informed consent. And that really is the whole reason of why we work with lawyers, because you're getting the input of a professional that deals with these things so that you can make the best decision for you and live your best life going forward.
1: We see in our profession the gusto and bravado of the solicitor that will, from time to time, if you work at a full-service firm, like you and I have previously done, walk, walk around and talk about the, the big million plus dollar transaction that they've just done. In other words, maybe they've, they've done a business sale that involves some assets and other things, and the total global value of it is in excess of a million dollars. And in 2022, that's not a tremendous amount of money. Maybe it's, maybe a, a, the modern view of that would be a $10 million sale or whatever. Sure. We, if you think about it uh, in terms of these agreements, It's not uncommon for us to reach globally a million dollars plus worth of both property and debts that are moving around. If you own a house, you own some cars, you have a mortgage tied to that property, you have a line of credit, you have some RRSPs, you have CPP credits. We'll just maybe park that for a moment, come back to CPP in a second. But it's, it's quite common for the average divorce in Canada to involve multiple millions of dollars worth of stuff, and so that's why you know you think about the uh, Harvey Specter, if you will, from suits waltzing around the office going big 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 deal here we all did this big deal let's high five about it. your divorce is a big deal, and we're not doing the staples agreement because you have to contemplate what are we doing with all of those things and knowing where all of those things Are where they stand and current values is really important, just to summarize it in very simple terms from coming on what you've said. But on the CPP credits, just although it doesn't fit neatly in anywhere in this podcast episode, everyone listening should know if you're in Canada, your CPP credits through the duration of your relationship are presumptively divisible. And unless you agree, in a separation agreement or order not to divide them, your ex spouse has the right to divide your credits and likewise theirs. When we say duration of the relationship, that would typically mean the outset of when you started living in a marriage like relationship or adult interdependent partner relationship, however it may be defined in your jurisdiction, until date of separation, globally dividing all those credits. And you can go to your My Service Canada account to see how many CPP credits you have and likewise your ex could disclose those as part of the divorce or separation process. And I believe you can actually ask or see perhaps an actuarial calculation if you were to extract those numbers, Uh, but I could be wrong.
0: In any event, you can see your credits online and deal with it that way, so. Well, CPP credits are one really interesting aspect and I learned this somewhat sort of the hard way and again, this is not legal advice, but merely a story, they are the one asset that can be unilaterally divided by one of the spouses just by calling the administrator of the Canada Pension Plan, basically, and saying, hello, we're split up now. Even if you don't have a separation agreement, even if you're not divorced, and they will unilaterally do a split of -hmm. those CPP credits, and what I understand is It cannot be undone once they've started it. So it can be a real headache. So that's an important thing to think about um, before you either give that up or wave on that or say, we're going to do it. Make sure that no one has done it and that your credits are whole before you actually move into that issue because that's the one issue where someone can act unilaterally.
1: And if they they have been divided and you're then starting to negotiate you know, that would yes. be disclosed and that would impact it the would other be. disposition yes. of property. But, Absolutely. Um, so the disclosure of finances is relevant for, in terms of our step step three, child support. You know, we'd want to know income levels for that. Um, it would also be relevant for step four, dividing property and debt as well as spousal support. Again, you need to know income for calculating spousal support. But the other piece to a separation agreement or any sort of agreement that we've discussed previously would be parenting of children. That's not tied to financial disclosure. But my thinking on this is, although circumstances pertaining to parenting of children can shift over time, that would require a material change of circumstances from when your agreement was executed in order to change the agreement. So be as clear as you can be about parenting time, parenting schedules, that is, how much time your children are going to spend between the two households, You can leave it generic and vague, or you can leave it specific. I'm of the view more specific is typically better, but also setting out parental decision-making responsibilities as well. And the presumption would be to share those responsibilities equally subject to any unique circumstances that would require one parent having those decision-making responsibilities exclusively. But um, you're going to want to put some effort into that As well, that's step two of our divorced and done steps and defining how your children are going to interact between you and your ex-spouse, new partners, and spend time between two households and how the two of you are going to make decisions for your kids. That should also
0: be very clear in your agreement. All of those things together are important and from those pieces moving through our steps, you'd then move to your stuff. As you said at the beginning, Darren, we can't just say stuff, and hopefully going through the disclosure process, you'll deal with your big assets. The smaller assets, and this is interesting, you and I don't often get hung up on this, the things in your house, in terms of splitting up bits and pieces, tables, computers, TVs, chairs, bedding, beds, books... Hopefully you can do all of that by agreement and if you're listening to this podcast you're probably the sort of person that can do that or will do that because without digging deeper into property we know that the amount of money you'd spend on legal fees fighting about certain assets in your house isn't worth it because you'll soon be spending more money than the asset is worth and seek to replace it. After that of course you're dealing with spousal support And perhaps that's one of the trickiest pieces with self-rep or self-drafted agreements where people are saying, yep, we're just sort of waiving spousal support without considering why or considering the factors. Because as we've discussed, spousal support is the most technical and most challenging issue we deal with. So having eyes on that, even if you are both agreeing to give it up, is important and coming back to the beginning, all of this starts with disclosure and then having that fair and frank conversation with your lawyer.
1: If you do the Staples Law Depot or whatever self-draft kit, you should be prepared to be bound by it despite it being vague and poorly drafted. What I mean is we often see the, the situation where a party that instigated the signing of the, the agreement on those terms through the self-draft kit later says, and i've seen I've seen this through consults, through other files I've had. Well, this wasn't a real agreement, was it? <laughs> a- 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 and it and you know what it is? It is a real agreement. And it might be a crappy agreement, and you might end up spending way more, you will, than thirty nine ninety five if you end up litigating what the agreement means because ultimately you're going to ask a judge. In your jurisdiction to interpret what that agreement means, and it will cost you a lot of money to have to do that. So do it right. Do it a better way than I described at the outset. Do it the way Rob described, which is through clear financial disclosure, contemplating all of the circumstances that could arise, and putting them clearly in your agreement with the assistance of a lawyer. Sure, it'll cost some money, but it will not cost you nearly the amount of money. And if you have to litigate the thing, so do it once, do it right.
0: You think Staples is going to send us a free box of pens?
1: I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you sitting on the beach singing Meli Maka <laughs> and enjoying a coconut drink.
0: Well, Darren Schmidt, thank you ever so much. I'm Rob Woodward. This has been Divorced and Done. Thank you for being with us, and we look forward to being with you. Divorce. Obviously sucks, but at least it only costs 20 bucks. 20, 20, 20, $20 divorce. Let's get a 20, 20,
1: 20, $20 divorce. We can save money and split our stuff. We'll both pitch in 10 bucks. I saw this ad on the side of a truck and it, it seems totally legit, right? Like, no, no, man. We, we can trust the truck ad for legal advice, it's, right? It's it's like, no so red flags flag Let's get a... Twenty, twenty, twenty dollar divorce. Let's get a twenty, twenty,
0: twenty, twenty dollar devotee Let's get a twenty, 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 twenty dollar vote Let's get a twenty, 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 vote. Let's get a twenty dollar divorce.